Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get a year ago, everyone thought that the net neutrality battle was won. The FCC put out strong net neutrality rules based on Title II of the Telecommunications Act, and many people who fought strongly for those net neutrality rules quite reasonably celebrated. Uh, there were some concerns, however, and a key one involved a way for companies uh, the service providers to effectively backdoor their way into an anti-net neutrality situation. Now, to understand how this works, without going too deep into the weeds, I'll just say that uh, the primary principle of net neutrality is that you don't have an entrenched, centralized player with little competition who can then pick winners and losers in terms of who can use the internet to access end users. In short, does the network provider have such control over the network that it can change the internet for end users in a manner that favors some providers and hurts others? The key loophole in the net neutrality rules was that was the unwillingness to directly say that the practice of zero rating violates net neutrality. Zero rating is a neat little trick. It involves internet access where there are data caps uh, in some form, but zero rated content doesn't count against those caps. For example, your connection may only get uh, may only allow say five gigs per month, but Netflix and Spotify traffic don't count against that data cap. That's an obvious benefit for Netflix and Spotify. And it's one that uh, potentially ISPs could charge for. In fact, AT&T is experimenting with something just like that. In other cases, companies like Comcast are experimenting with data caps, but are exempting their own video services while still saying that anyone else's video service is subject to the cap. And that brings us to T-Mobile. Uh, the wireless carrier has posi positioned itself as the uncarrier in that it doesn't want to do the horrible things that makes most people hate their mobile phone service providers and has certainly done some good things. The plans are cheaper. They don't require long contracts. You can bring your own device. Um, but the company has also been pretty aggressive with zero rating, including a music program that exempts many music streaming companies and its most recent effort called Binge On that exempts streaming video with some caveats. Uh, T-Mobile insists that this is all for the benefit of consumers and makes it clear that it doesn't charge companies to have their data exempted. They just need to meet certain technical standards. But there's a sneaky thing here. If T-Mobile didn't have artificially low data caps in the first place, this wouldn't be an issue at all. A big part of my personal problem with zero rating uh, and claiming that it's for consumer benefit is the idea that this consumer benefit is solely based on protecting you from the ridiculously low data cap that the same company uh, arbitrarily put on your connection in the first place. You're not exactly a hero if you rescue someone from the attack dog if you're the one who set the attack dog on them in the first place. Um, Binge On is even more problematic to me because the company went even further. Part of the way that it works is that uh, 
the exempt streaming video would be lower quality than full uh, HD video, thus saving T-Mobile bandwidth. But the company implied that this lower quality would only apply to services that were officially uh, a part of Binjan. What was discovered just recently was the fact that T-Mobile is actually just sensing anything that it thought was streaming video and throttling that connection uh, down to about 1.5 megabits and then hoping that the server would automatically downgrade the video quality. This applied to anything that it thought was streaming video, whether it was a part of the Binjan program or not. Um, and that meant even if you were just downloading a video um, or if you had an encrypted connection, uh, say to YouTube, which is not a partner, um, this kind of throttling was actually a huge nuisance for users and rather than a benefit. But T-Mobile to this day continues to insist that it is optimizing video for end users and that this is all to their benefit. Okay, there's a, the, that's, that's a quick background and there's a lot more there, but with us to discuss uh, this concept of zero rating and Binjan in particular uh, is Marvin Amori. Uh, as we've said before, Marvin is a DC-based lawyer uh, who has been deeply involved in a number of technology issues. Uh, but I'd say the one that is nearest and dearest to his heart is net neutrality. Um, Marvin was also a key player behind the scenes in convincing the FCC that Title II was the way to go for its net neutrality rules, in particular bringing together and advising a number of tech startups to speak out uh, and make their positions clear to the FCC. Uh, joining myself and Marvin are our usual co-hosts, Hirsch Reddy and Dennis Yang. Uh, so I just gave... Uh, brief analysis as quick as I could, which was already too long on why I find Ben John troubling. And uh, uh, we'll discuss the counter argument in a minute. But Marvin, you've written about this. And so let's start with kind of what you think of Ben John and T-Mobile's reaction to all of this. Thanks, Mike. Always great to, to hang out with you. <laughs> uh, so I mean, what we've seen since the net neutrality order is all of the big phone and cable companies are trying to avoid actually abiding by net neutrality. <laughs> There's a gap in the order for zero rating, and so all of them are trying to walk through it. Comcast has something called their stream, which competes with Netflix. They decided to give it a special channel that won't get congested and is higher quality, right? Uh, and to zero rate it. Verizon and AT&T want to do a sponsored data where they let you pay them for the right to be exempt from their data caps. Right. That gives them every incentive to keep a low data cap or to set the attack dog on you. Right. More, more attack dogs. Um, because if there's a low data cap, that gives them more opportunity to charge people to avoid that inconvenience. T-Mobile, uh, as you mentioned, they are throttling all video. Um, and they... And, and, and we should note that that, that goes against uh, a, a pretty clear part of the net neutrality rules that has a, uh, what do they say? The no throttling rule. A, a, yeah, exactly. A bright, bright line, no throttling rule. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I also think that Comcast preferring their video over everyone else's would uh -huh. violate the throttling rule because it's essentially inverse throttling benefiting their, mm -hmm. their service. Uh, and T-Mobile, uh, to much fanfare uh, uh, and lots of press, decided to zero rate mainly commercial uh, TV online mm -hmm. that charges a subscription. Right. It wasn't a lot of, you know, part of the program wasn't a lot of like amateur video, news video, free video. Uh, it tended to be a certain set of companies. 
And uh, a professor at Stanford named Barbara Von Schiewek wrote this, you know, 20-page uh, report on Bin John, sort of analyzing how, how it works. You know, even though T-Mobile suggests any video provider can be part of it, in, in, in actuality, it's actually kind of hard to get in. There are preferences for certain protocols over others, therefore biasing the internet uh, in favor of certain technologies chosen by T-Mobile. So I look at all of these zero-rating programs and I've, I know the phone and cable industry, right? For 10 years, they've been spending hundreds of millions of dollars trying to avoid net neutrality, mm-hmm. trying to put themselves in a gatekeeper role and extract revenue from uh, all of the, the tech companies out there innovating on the internet. And I'm a little disappointed that the FCC chairman and his team haven't yet acted aggressively. And, and just to be clear, they've kind of said that they're exploring this and they're willing to look at these programs and they've asked for more information, I believe, yep. on at least some of them. Um, but they didn't, they didn't put in a bright line rule saying that this was, that you couldn't do zero rating. And, you know, at other times, Chairman Wheeler in particular has, has called some zero rating programs, you know, like creative or, or something to, or innovative, I think he was the way he, yeah. he put it, which was concerning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I still have hope that the FCC will figure it out, but I think they should move very quickly, right? If they wait, the market moves more and more towards zero rating. Mm-hmm. And so the stakes of waiting are, you know, waiting a year when the entire market has moved towards zero rating, it'd be a lot harder to undo the damage then and to sort of shift the market. Uh, we did see today one of the senators asked Tom Wheeler at a hearing, what are you doing about zero rating? Uh, and lots of organizations are concerned about it. Lots of companies are concerned about it. Uh, and so it would be good to see the FCC respond uh, soon. And, and I'm happy to debate the merits, but, but that's sort of the, <laughs> the context of what I see. These guys are just trying to, trying to avoid net neutrality as usual. And, and the other thing that, that bothered me in particular about, about um, T-Mobile with Binjon was, uh, to me, they lied about it. Uh, and, you know, because I had written something about it and um, just sort of generally complaining about it, and they uh, had a PR person send me a, a, a kind of a nasty email saying that, one, Binjan wasn't, um, wasn't zero rating, which it is, uh, mm-hmm. and also kept going on and on about how it's really about optimizing video and entirely for the consumer's benefit. And then, you know, I went back and pointed out, like, it's clearly throttling. She also said it wasn't throttling, but optimizing. It was clearly throttling. Um, and that there was, there was plenty of evidence and there was, you know, EFF did, did, a um, a study that found that it was clearly throttling. And the fact that like companies like YouTube, you know, probably the biggest video company out there, which is not a, a member of it. If you go to a YouTube video and binge on is on, then it's clearly, um, your, your bandwidth goes down to 1.5 megabits. And so that's, seem like a big problem. So, and there are also rules in the, as part of the net neutrality rules that, um, that companies need to be transparent about what they're doing. So I think there's an argument that Binjan also violates the, the transparency rules. That, that's a good, I, I will note that people were pretty confused about Binjan. Yeah. Like w- I wrote an article in Slate that you referenced where I said, T-Mobile is throttling all video content and Slate said, oh, can you get comment from them? whether or not they, they uh, deny that. And you know, if you read their, their materials closely, they weren't denying it, right. but, but most people it were was, fooled by it. It was, it was and, totally and, hidden. Yeah. And I kept getting requests from journalists saying, hey, you know, uh, T-Mobile is kind of denying it. They're saying it's optimizing. Do you have any proof of this? 
and it was so evident. And then EFF came out and did the did the analysis, right? But it was it was a lot of sleight of hand, so people were pretty confused. Yeah, it was actually like you know, at one point I looked, and if you like read, you know, if you just if you read the T-Mobile page, like you could read it either way, and there was some information that if you read it really carefully and connected like like nine paragraphs down with a footnote, you could kind of realize that they sort of admitted to what they were doing, but it was clearly designed in a way that was... And in T-Mobile's defense, I spoke to them for over an hour before, and they admitted it to me. They explained uh-huh. it to me. They didn't try to deny it on the call when we, when we pressed them, but it, people were confused. Okay. So, so now, to, to be fair <laughs> to, to T-Mobile, because now we've been bashing them and, and, right. and others who are doing zero rating, right? So the defense of zero rating is that it is for consumer benefit, that you're able to, you know, in Binge On in particular, right? So you're able to offer these video services. It doesn't eat into your data um, and that it just gives a better overall experience altogether. So you're more able to, you know, watch streaming video or, or streaming audio. And so that's good for consumers. Am I supposed to jump in now? <laughs> you, you, you can jump in now, Hersha. Okay. Well, I mean, if you think about the way they've designed Bin John, it's it's kind of uh, it's a little difficult to defend the specific instance of what T-Mobile is doing. But I think the general principle of basically having ISPs um, do some kind of optimization for the most commonly accessed content mm-hmm. is not a bad thing. There's there was a program even that Netflix had where they offered ISPs sure. you know, hardware where they would you know so they could cache you know the or is it cache the cache. most uh, frequently use, uh, watched videos closer to their users, right? And that kind of thing. And I'm not really opposed to that. I, I, do, see, I do see that the, it, it can become problematic in a telecom market like the United States where um, there's almost like de facto local monopolies for certain mm-hmm. players if uh, those players then use their market position to essentially extract rents from the innovators, right? And that's, that's really the problem we have. Uh, but but the solution that people pose to that problem, I think I think it's a little inverted from what it should be, right? Like because we do want, in some sense, we do want optimization. We do want content to be brought closer to consumers, and we actually do want ISPs to innovate in the sense of how do you get content closer to uh, to speed up the access of content, have different kinds of content, actually different kinds of quality of service as mm-hmm. well, right? You want that kind of optimization, and and that can't come about unless you give them the freedom to operate. But unfortunately, the solution we have is instead of basically saying, hey, I instead of allowing there to be uh, uh, a check against abuse by allowing consumers to reject an ISP that's, for example, throttles the popular services they want to use, like Netflix, instead of giving them that choice, since they don't have that choice, we have to have this rather bureaucratic and hard to define and kind of gray and mushy uh, regulatory framework to kind of enforce this top-down net neutrality thing, which is, which is, which is I, I think, almost the worst way to do it, right? Like, what you'd rather have is just let people, let it be a free-for-all, and if Comcast really sucks because they don't let you access your Netflix, uh, and they instead give you access to some BS Comcast video service, then you just, next month, you cancel your service, and you've got the other service, right? You use your, your Google Fiber or whatever. But, I mean, obviously, that's except for a few markets like San Francisco and maybe Austin and a few places like that, there really isn't 
multiple broadband providers, um, and so that that's the real issue. Yeah. And so we should, I think we should, we should tackle it in the long term from that direction. I think I think the net neutrality yeah, thing, because essentially what happens is, you know, just to finish my point, anytime you have a regulator like uh, the FCC, um, who essentially has that much power in the market, you will eventually see that regulator get manipulated and become yet another barrier to entry to more competitors. I mean, that's essentially that's what I see in everything else where I work as a lawyer navigating regulation, you know, whether it be FAA rules or whatever. Um, I always see that happen. It's like essentially there's all these great rules for the sake of consumer protection, and at the end of the day, it actually makes consumer choice worse because navigating those rules is a huge barrier to entry to any new competitor. And I, I kind of feel like that's what's going to happen here. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, the barrier entry, there's a lot of them, but, right. you know, it's, it's, it's definitely evolving that way. You want to so, respond? Sure. So, so, so I saw three three things to respond to. Uh, one having to do with quality of service and caching. Mm-hmm. One having to do with uh, whether or not competition can solve uh, the problem of net neutrality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was a third point, um, which is escaping me at the moment. But You're talking <laughs> about the barriers to entry that the uh, regulatory people? capture. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. So three things. Remind me if I forget one of them. Okay. Maybe take, take notes. <laughs> okay. So first, uh, we, were ta- we began talking about zero rating, which is exemptions from data caps. But now we're talking a little bit about throttling because of what T-Mobile is doing and what Comcast sure. is doing. Now, um, what we have on the internet right now is a lot of kind of, quote, prioritization through caching, which is where you bring your... your websites or whatever on servers as close to possible to the user. Right, usually uh, called a content delivery network or CDN or whatever. The reason why those are not problematic Mm -hmm. is there's tons of competition Mm -hmm. and it's really cheap. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of competition, the price of doing it falls with the cost that people charge around cost and cost falls like a stone. And and I'll add one more thing why I think CDNs are not... uh, are not an issue here and are a different situation, which is that everything about the CDN structure is designed to benefit the end user, right? It's, it's not... Um, well, let's say, let's say it this way. Okay. If there's a whole bunch of CDNs to choose from, mm-hmm. and one of them, the Masnik CDN, is like, no, we're not going to take your stuff. <laughs> I can just go somewhere else. If right. Verizon is like, we're not going to prioritize you, then I have nowhere else to go in then order to screwed. reach the people right. on Verizon. The people on Verizon have nowhere else to get me. And in addition, Verizon could probably punish me, probably slow me down. They could do things. There's nothing Masnik CDN can do to me if I go over to her CDN. <laughs> yeah, just wait. Yeah. So, so the CDN market's a little different, um, sure. and, and it confuses people, but you, but you have to think about it and dig in to, to realize why it's completely different. And the real difference is competition. Okay. Um, so that's one. And Which then, brings us to point two, competition. Oh, the, the kind of CDN-like service I was talking about is not necessarily the CDN, you're, the way you're thinking about it. Because there's certainly, there's like edge CDNs where you, well, you would build a data center closer to a consumer. I'm talking about even closer. So for example, this doesn't exist now, where you would have a neighborhood box, right? Where there's an ISP and the ISP could put a piece of server equipment literally like, you know, 1,000 yards away from consumers, right? Or, you know, even closer, uh, you know, literally two hops away as opposed to like the four hops away, right? Like Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, that's what Netflix was offering, right, with ISPs. It's not just a question of putting a box with Akamai. It's literally putting a box in a Comcast uh, server warehouse. I don't know what the term is for Comcast. Yeah, yeah, I got got it for sure. And and Google Fiber did did a blog post on that exact point. And they said, sure, we'll let anyone connect in those mm-hmm. boxes, and we won't charge them. 
mm-hmm. because it's good for consumers. It gets the data closer. It's good for us. We save on the cost it would be to, mm-hmm. to transport that data across the country. Win-win. Why would we charge anyone? Right? And that's true. But because companies like Comcast and Verizon have these monopoly positions and because they see it as a new revenue opportunity, they want to be able to auction that off. And if you auction that off, only the biggest players will get it. Uh, so you would need some sort of way to make sure that it's available to everyone uh, because of that potential abuse. So this gets us to the, to the core problem of, of competition. Sure, We've got to figure out the competition problem. Right? It would be great to have five different wires into people's homes, 10 wires, and the ability to, 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 to switch from one to another. But I don't even think we need multiple wires. The way they have competition working in London, there's a single wire, but it's just right. like the wire owner is different than the ISP. The wholesale, yeah. um, the wire connection. Yeah, I'm, I'm also in agreement so you could, over you that. You could have competition yeah. at the service level as opposed yeah. to the infrastructure yeah. level. Hirsch and I are, are singing from the same song sheet, so it's okay. great. Um, but in the U.S. so far, it's been pretty politically infeasible to get to a world sure. where you have wire sharing. Well, that's, and, and, and just... For some historical reference, right, we had that when it was telephone and dial-up, right, where anyone you could anyone could basically set up a dial-up ISP and use the existing copper infrastructure. But we lost that, and that exactly. that, that went away thanks to FCC rules and Supreme Court decisions and, and whatnot, right? Yeah. And getting so, that back would be very difficult politically. Right. Uh, I, n- but in addition, you know, there are some things that competition doesn't solve. So let's say you had competition among car companies. You wouldn't say, oh, therefore, we don't need fuel standards. Therefore, we don't need seatbelt rules. Therefore, we don't need uh, uh, airbag rules. Um, There are competition among restaurants. Therefore, we don't need food safety rules. When it comes to this particular market, and again, it's Barbara Van Schievik, the Stanford professor who is the leading expert on net neutrality probably in the world. She's done a lot of economic modeling showing that even if there's competition in the market, there'll be a lot of discrimination. Um, partly to try to reduce costs against your competitors. Uh, and so her take is society is better off if the Internet remains a general-purpose network, like kind of like the electricity grid or you know, the roads. Kind of, you know, anyone can access anything at a, in a level playing field versus having a whole bunch of different networks with different discriminatory systems. And in London, um, you know, there, are, there is a lot of discrimination. There are a lot of companies who discriminate in that competitive environment. And you, so, you sort of have to make the call, would society be better off with a whole bunch of people competing just based on uh, cost and speed, not also on discrimination, the same way you'd want cars competing just on you know, cost and speed and luxury, not on safety. I don't know if I agree with that, though, because like, so I haven't read uh, Barbara Shevek's papers. I I don't know. And obviously, I haven't conducted any economic models of my own. (laughs) But it seems to me that if you had sort of free competition and you had consumer choice and the the cost of switching, it's obviously switching your ISP is a much lower cost than switching your automobile. And also the the consequences for... uh, throttling or something else like that are a lot lower than a car accident that kills you and your baby or that kind of stuff, right? So it, I don't think we should draw too much of an analogy there, but I do get your point. I do get I, your point. I do love a, the internet. And think, <laughs> <laughs> um. but, but there is externalities, yes. Yeah. So, but my, my question is this. Like, if, if consumers perceive a difference, right, and the difference is material, 
and they have the ability to change and uh, their provider. And if the, the barriers to change are low, I think people will like, exercise that choice. They certainly do it in, in other places, right? And in other kinds of things. And as you mentioned, we all love the internet and it's a big part of your life. And, and uh, let, let's say there's, you know, in, in your world, I, I think the biggest fear, the kind of fear people always illustrate is, let's assume a world in the future where Netflix is this huge entertainment powerhouse and everyone zero rates them. Right, mm -hmm. and now uh, there's a new flicks. It's called Masnick Flicks, and they just wanted to start up, and it's gonna stream this like really cerebral movies and podcasts and stuff like that. <laughs> but they can't they can't get in because you know they try right. to stream their podcasts and stuff like that, but it stutters and people don't know. If, is that because Masnick is incompetent or is it because of the internet? <laughs> well, a few people will get a good stream, you know, because not everyone's gonna discriminate against Masnick. Neither people will know. Okay, this has nothing to do with Masnick's. Quality, it has to do with my ISP throttling them, right? So eventually, there will be a market disruption in the sense that at least one of the ISPs will be like, hey, this is a, this is a benefit, even though it's for a pretty small population of fans. Right, and you for could, me to say and, that... And they Masnick could, could even advertise the yeah, fact like, hey, we don't, stuff, we don't throttle. Yeah, exactly. Masnick stuff is going to come through great if you're a fan. And that would essentially give them a slight edge. And like in a, any other edge in the market, it's a small marginal edge, but Masnick net plus Hirsch net plus all these other things aggregated together, and that suddenly that provider is uh, perceived as, hey, this is, a, this is a great provider. You can get all kinds of little, small, niche things. And, right, but, uh, but let's face it, that's not a world that we live in right now. So, like, I'm, I, no, well, I, mean, like, I, I actually yes. agree with you. I mean, I've always said that I think... No, this that, is the that, answer. That, let, me, let me disagree with both of you. Okay. I, when, like, when I hear that world, I think, poor Masniknet. He can't <laughs> reach 25% of the market. It's twenty five percent of the market that he's got. Then the costs of innovation for Masnick are to now take out ads, make deals, figure out where he's blocked and not blocked based on transparency rules, or where he's not throttled. And the internet is working. It's the most you know we've seen more innovation through the internet than any other technology, general purpose technology. You name it, it's amazing. Keeping the costs of innovation super low, so that all you have to do is you know get your get your site out there and it's available pretty much everywhere in the world without having to jump through hoops. So that being blocked or discriminated against 25% of the people. Um, you know, I think, you know... But you, let's be you, clear. The, uh, yeah, discrimination on the traffic is not blocking. People will still be able to reach MassNicNet. They'll still be able to experience it. It just might be that at certain times in the day, it would be throttled. We're not talking about completely blocking things off. And I want to say... If you did section off and block, if some competitor, some ISP actually sectioned off and blocked off portions of the internet, that would be service breaking for them, right? Because it would be very difficult for them to know uh, what servers they could block off and what IP addresses that wouldn't sort of uh, fundamentally break other services. Because services are constantly reaching across the internet, doing multiple things. When you load a web page, the web page is pinging multiple places. They can't just arbitrarily say, hey, we're not even going to let you reach Masnick's IP addresses. That's not possible. What they can do is well, basically it's, say, it's, oh, wait, it's wait. possible. It's, it's possible. very, very it's, possible. And it's, and it's happened in the past, right? The first net neutrality uh, order in the, F in the US was in 2005 when a small phone company was blocking Vonage. Comcast was punished for blocking BitTorrent and Nutella and other P2P uh, technologies. There was a report in the EU uh, that's, that showed that for about 20% of uh, EU mobile users, there was blocking of either Skype or P2P. And so there's been a lot of, a lot of blocking. Uh, and the net neutrality rule is a rule against both blocking and discrimination. But, but let's take blocking off the, mm. off the table and just say, you know, I think it'd be a bad world where MasnicNet could be discriminated against and has to sort of figure out a way to not be discriminated. What I do think we will agree on, though, uh, here, not everyone agrees on it, 
is we shouldn't get rid of the regulations before we have competition. That was like the American ethos for (laughs) at the FCC, definitely during the Bush years. Uh, and even some of the late Clinton years, like, oh, if we just get rid of regulations, there'll be more competition. Right. There was no well, economic well, theory behind that. Well, let's say which regulations we get rid of. Right? Sure, that's true. The net neutrality regulations absolutely can't be get, gotten rid of. But what we can get rid of is these regulations that prevent uh, an ISP from starting in San Francisco because they can't sure. access so-and-so pool because yeah. that pool has been monopoly given to AT&T. Now they have to go beg AT&T. Let's get rid of those regulations. But you, you, don't, you don't find yeah. the, the telecom industry I lobbyists mean, right. whining it, about it, that stuff. They should really be talking about that. You want to talk yeah, about and freedom. In fact, in fact they're, they're going the other way, right? I mean, right, yeah. right now there's, there's just a lawsuit that AT&T filed against Google uh, or I don't, is it against Google? But in in Louisville, in Louisville, yeah. yeah. Is it about telephone? Be, poles because it's about telephone poles. Yeah. Because Google Fiber wants to attach to the the poles, and AT and T is insisting that that would you know that's yeah. horrible, and it's their poles, and yeah. nobody else should be allowed to attach to it. So the, you know, let's face it: like the telecom space is a heavily regulated space already, right? And so there are and and some many of those regulations are anti-competitive. In that you know the the large legacy players have figured out ways to to use them, and so the argument that had, that certainly FCC, the FCC boss Tom Wheeler has made is that you know the net neutrality rules are a very different kind of regulation, and I think that's true, which is that they are not you know and you look at them they are not a regulation that says like you have to meet this rule and this rule to in order to to do it. It is more along the lines, as he said, sort of a, a kind of First Amendment principle, which is that we, we are ensuring freedom uh, that the Internet should function the way it's supposed to function, and therefore you can't do things that, that undermine that. And you know, while we've seen some ISPs come out and say these rules are burdensome and horrible, when you look and you read the actual rules, they're not. They're only burdensome if you're doing really crappy stuff to to harm internet users, right? And it seems as simple as that. And and it also seems to me that a lot of the arguments that come out of uh, Comcast and places like that is they feel like the country owes them a certain type of margin for being in a certain type of industry. Like, oh, this is our this is our right to this margin. No, it's not. I mean, other <laughs> industries, I mean, margins rise and fall. All the time industries rise and fall. It's like it's not an inherited right. Oh, you made these investments and therefore you should continue to the end of time to reap this margin. It's ridiculous. But having said that... They do speak like regulated entities, don't they? Regulated (laughs) entities get a guaranteed margin. And whenever it benefits them to talk like that, they're like, oh, we deserve a margin. Whenever it doesn't, we're we're free enterprise. This is our private sector investment. So one of the things that's really curious to me is there is a very simple solution the FCC could do to alleviate a lot of these problems, right? And, And it's in an area that they regulate. And the thing is, like, if you look at the kind of spectrum that's available in the United States and how it's allocated, right, we have juicy spectrum that goes right through neighborhoods, it goes right through walls, it carry uh, lots of data on it, and that juicy spectrum is is given away to, like, ridiculous uses, right? And and this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about, like, in terms of regulatory capture. It's not like this nefarious thing. It's just institutionally... the most valuable resources are kind of given out to like the, these these uh, pioneer first movers, like the t- TV stations and stuff like that. I mean, what is the what is the actual net value to the economy of giving these guys the best the best uh, essentially the best spectrum? Sure. Well, some of that is just historical, right? No, I mean, exactly. if you if, if you look at the spectrum map, it's sort of eye-opening, right? Because you have these giant segments which is all went to TV and was all basically given to them for free, and 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 so. You know the issue now is that 
and this gets into a whole different debate, which we don't have time for. But like, you know, the FCC is actually trying to claw back some of that. But then you have a, another debate, which is over how do you how do you do that? And and there's been this whole focus on the great on, spectrum on auction spec- on, on spectrum <laughs> auctions and the idea that here's a way for the government to make money by, uh, you know, incentivizing the the TV providers to basically give back the spectrum so that the government could then auction it off and make a whole bunch of money and I'm not sure if I agree with that though what you need more is like white space right like sure. you need you need rules of the road the FCC says that this is the kind of protocol you need to run on this kind of white space right so if it's 802.11 or you know if you if you're at the 900 megahertz uh, you know, bandwidth, then you have to follow these rules in terms of how strong you can broadcast and how you have to back off and, you know, those kinds of things. They mandate those kinds of things and then leave it to the market. Like, you know, if how people are going to do, uh, you know, last mile access. I mean, that's the way to do it. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into spectrum auction stuff and I, or, or just, you know, spectrum usage and spectrum allocation. And I think it's worthy of a follow-up, but but we're we're, 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 we're sort of out of time on this one. But I I do want to give Marvin the last word on this, um, and it can be a uh, I you never actually got to your point on regulatory capture, so it can be about that. Or if you want to go that's, on a that's different, exactly where I was going. Okay, so, uh, so but, but I will say close I, it out I, with. I, I will say I totally agree <laughs> that that we should allocate more spectrum to unlicensed uses, mm-hmm. not just auctioning it off to AT and T and Verizon. But when it comes to regulatory capture, I mean, the FCC, you know, a a former chairman of the FCC referred to to the initials FCC as meaning firmly controlled by corporations. (laughs) And that is, the FCC is is an agency that's just controlled by the broadcasters, the cable companies, and the phone companies. And and there's a revolving door as well. I mean, a lot of people come in and out. All their information comes from those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is why net neutrality was a nearly impossible <laughs> fight every single time we had it. We weren't expected to win in 2005, which was a congressional fight. Uh, we weren't expected to win in 2007 and 8, which was the Comcast BitTorrent case. We weren't expected to win in 2010 when Julius Janikowski adopted the first net neutrality rule, which had tons of loopholes because of political, because of politics and his own uh, spinelessness. <laughs> uh, and 2004, uh, know, as everyone knows, you know, the chairman proposed eliminating net neutrality. Right. The FCC is, a, is, a, is just a paradigm of c- corruption uh, and revolving door. But every time the public rose up and said, like, hey, we're going to defend the Internet, and it was against the grain of that regulatory capture that net neutrality has happened every time. Um, but you know, generally, when things are just running their course, it's a problem. So, so just the, the one pushback point on that is that you know, and and this has been brought up by by certainly a bunch of people is that even now that we have these good rules, mm-hmm. the fact that the FCC tends to be so captured doesn't that mean that you know it's only a matter of time before the loopholes pop up in those rules or those rules are changed and the next administration brings in a, an FCC that's even you know friendlier to corporations? Let me so. tell you potential loophole number one: zero okay. rating. Okay. That's it. <laughs> well, uh, good discussion. There's obviously plenty more to talk about, and uh, we will continue this conversation. But but thanks, uh, Marvin, for joining us. Thanks, Hirsch and Dennis, as always. Uh, and thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and think of the cat. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and think of the cat.